Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. My dear friends in Christ, this passage is so familiar that we miss what's going on. Because we think we know the end of the story. As soon as it begins, we jump there. I mean, just think about it. If you say the term Good Samaritan, what do you start to think of? My guess is one of the first things you think of isn't the text. It's somebody who stops on the side of the highway to help someone with a flat tire. It's someone who sees something going on in the street and they rush over and stop it. That's what we think of when we hear Good Samaritan. We think of this person helping another. And while that's a very good thing to do, and and we should do that whenever we can, that's not really the point. It's not. You see, why is he called a Good Samaritan? Because that's rare. He's called a good Samaritan because Samaritans to the Israelites were not good. These were these dirty half-breeds that when Israel was taken into exile and were spread out in what was called the diaspora all through the world at that point, never to return home again, their captors brought other exiles into Israel, put them in place in Samaria, and they lived there. And they wanted to appease this foreign God over this land of Israel. So they started sprinkling in a little bit of the Israelite religion into their pagan practices. These are people who then interbreeded with the Jews of the time. And thus they were looked down upon. They were judged harshly. They were mocked and ridiculed. Samaritans weren't good. They weren't nice people to the Jews because the Jews weren't nice people to them. And so to call one a good Samaritan is to say something. But maybe I'm getting a little too ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning. A lawyer comes and puts Jesus to the test. A lawyer comes and says, I'm going to trap this guy. A lawyer comes and says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get him to blaspheme. I've seen what this Jesus does. I've seen what this Jesus teaches. And it is not according to the word that I know. You see, a lawyer is not a lawyer like we think of here. A lawyer in the scriptures is not what we lovingly refer to as the ambulance chasers. A lawyer here is somebody who knows the law of God. He's an expert in what God says. And so, the lawyer of God's word comes and puts Jesus on trial. He says, teacher... This is where he goes wrong. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now don't think that he's saying, what shall I do to earn eternal life? 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a small but very real and good distinction. Because inheritance only comes through the death of another. And so this lawyer, whether he meant to say this this way or not, is bringing up to Jesus that eternal life is a gift. And Jesus plays with him. He doesn't play into his hand, but he takes the lawyer by his and guides him into what is the truth, whether the lawyer believes it or not. So Jesus, because he is good and because he is wise in every single way, doesn't look at the lawyer and give him an answer. Instead, he asks him two questions. What is written in the law about inheriting eternal life? How do you read that law? What's written in the law about inheriting eternal life, and how do you read it? And the man says, rightly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. When God gives the law to the Israelites from the mountain, they shake in fear and they say, all this you have said we shall do. And God has attached a promise to the law. If you do it and do it perfectly, you shall live. Didn't take very long for the Israelites to find out that they are not able to do the law perfectly. And that's okay. It's not good, but it's okay. It's not as if God was fooled by us. It's not as if God gave the law and said, well, here you go, let's see what you do with it. God gave us the law knowing that we would fail, knowing that we would sin, knowing we would break the law every chance that we had. So why does he do it? Paul tells us it's to increase our trespass. God gives the law to you so that you trespass more. weird. God gave the law so you become a bigger sinner. Because the last thing God wants for you is for you to think that you can do anything righteous on your own. The last thing He wants from you is to think that you can climb the ladder to where God is and claim your place in heaven. The last thing God wants from you is to stand up and say, that's mine. I deserve it. And so he gives the law to increase the trespass. We Lutherans are very fond of pointing out the three functions of the three uses of the law. Do you guys remember this from your confirmation classes? The law is a curb and a Mirror and a guide. Do you remember these? The curb tells you, I know you do. The curb tells you how far you can go and no further. If you jump the curb in your car, you get into trouble, right? Same thing with the law. 
The chief use of the law is as a mirror. It reflects back to you your own sin. And the third use of the law is only for you, the Christian. Where you say, all right, I am now saved. I'm a sinner. I've been, I'm repenting. I've been forgiven. Now what do I do? And the law tells you exactly what that is. And you have all the freedom in the world to do that. And you don't have to fear at failing. And that's what the guide is there for. Those are the three uses or the three functions of the law. God uses the law to show you who you are. And so this lawyer coming to Jesus and saying, this is the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. Do it. And you have to wonder for a moment if the lawyer is taken aback. Because Jesus didn't fall for the trap. Jesus didn't fall for what the lawyer was trying to do, which is to drive him into blaspheming God, to say something other than what the law says. And in fact, if you notice, Jesus doesn't give the law in this way to the lawyer. He confirms it. Because Jesus already gave it to the Israelites once. Now, the lawyer sits there, still shaking a bit from Jesus' answer. And I know it may not seem like it, but remember, when someone is a greater expert than you in what you claim to be an expert in, and you think that you're the best, and you've just been unseated, you're a little scared. You're a little nervous. You might develop a small tick. And so the man, desiring to justify himself, desiring to show Jesus that he has done this, desiring to show him that he's obeyed the law, gives Jesus another question. And who is my neighbor? Because doubtless he anticipates Jesus' next question. Have you done this? Because here's the deal. Jesus claims to be God, and all the Jews knew it. And so if they're not worshiping him, then they do not love the Lord their God with all of their heart, and with all their mind, and with all their strength, and with all their soul. Jesus is claiming to be that God, and he's not done that. And so now he's thinking, well, at least if I can get service to my neighbor, love to my neighbor, I'm a 50%, at least in this way, not too bad, not too shabby. Maybe the first one is ignorance, but the second one, I've done this. And so Jesus answers him with a parable. A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and that's because you always go down out of Jerusalem. It's on a mountain. So he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho through this craggy path where there are rocks and valleys and boulders and it's very dangerous. And everyone listening to this exchange already knows this. And they say, what a stupid man. Because now he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, if by chance, a priest was going down that road 
And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And you've got to remember, the people are sitting here and they're thinking about this. And they go, that priest. All right, we know God's law does allow for, for some uncleanness, but, but not a priest. Priest, we want to stay clean. A priest, we want to be there to be able to sacrifice for us. We don't want him to make himself unclean so that we're not unclean. There's some question as to whether in the the Talmud, which is the, the Pharisee's book of all the rules and expressions of Judaism, as to whether a priest really could even touch a dead body. And so the people there listening to this are going to go, that's what a priest should do. Likewise, a Levite walked by, and when he saw the man laying there, he passed by on the other side. And the people will say, the Levite, we understand that too. One of the sons of Aaron, one from whom the priests come. Yes, please do not defile yourself. This is good. You're obeying the law. You are loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is good. No one here is questioning what's going on. It doesn't seem that weird to them. It may seem weird to us, but it doesn't seem that weird to them. And by the way, if you think that this is strange, that these people should walk by, I'd like to remind you of all of the violence that America has experienced over, let's say, even just the last five years, where people have been assaulted in the streets, whether by mobs or whatever, and other people see it and they just keep walking. Ain't none of my business. Ain't going to get involved. That's kind of how we all function. And you don't know how it is that you're going to be until you're right in that situation. But for the Jews, with their religion, they understood this. They didn't see it as a, as a sinful function of humanity. They saw it as a pietistic devotion to God. And that's good. And then Jesus drops, well, what is kind of an atom bomb on them. But then a Samaritan. Oh, a Samaritan, not one of them. Oh, we don't want him around. Oh, get away from us. As he journeyed, came to where the beaten, half-dead man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So he went and he bound up his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, he put the man on his own animal. And he brought him and took care of him. Now the Samaritans didn't care for the law in this way. They weren't paying attention. It didn't matter. The man, the Samaritan, gave the innkeeper two denarii, two days wages, and said to him, take care of this man, and whatever else you spend, I'll pay it back when I return. The Samaritan has no salvation. The Samaritan will not be saved. The Samaritan does not believe in the one true God. He does not worship that one true God. He's intermingled God and idols. The Samaritan doesn't have a chance except in hell. So Jesus looks at the lawyer 
He says to him, which of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer knows the answer. And the lawyer doesn't like the answer. Because the answer reveals something about God that the lawyer doesn't want to admit. The Samaritan says the neighbor to the beaten man, and he can't even say who this person is. He can't even put the words in his mouth. The neighbor is the one who showed mercy. This lawyer is incensed. This lawyer is panicked. This lawyer doesn't know what to do. All he can do is answer the question. The one who showed him mercy. He can't say, well, the Samaritan was good. He doesn't want to say Samaritan. The Samaritan was a neighbor. He doesn't even want to say neighbor. He just says the one who shows mercy. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Not go and obey the law. Not go and do all these things you've told us. And I'm not saying that obeying the law is bad. It is very good. But Jesus says to him, show mercy. That doesn't seem to fit with the law. And yet, that is the entire point of the law. The entire point of the law is to drive you into the arms of your God for Him to have mercy on you. The entire point of the law is not to set you up as some paragon of virtue. It is not for you to sit there and judge others. It is for you to understand there is no hope for you apart from Jesus Christ. The law is there that you might receive the mercy of God. The lawyer doesn't want that. The lawyer doesn't want mercy. The lawyer wants to be judged by his own works, by his own deeds. And I will tell you that the vast majority of this world wants the same. The vast majority of people think they can lift themselves up by their own bootstraps and throw themselves into heaven. The majority of this world says, well, I'm a pretty good and decent person. Therefore, God is going to let me in. And that ain't it. I am a poor, miserable, damnable, contemptible sinner. And I have nothing good in me. And neither do you. And yet by the grace of God, by the love of God, He has sent His Son to die for you. And this is the way He shows mercy. He sent His Son to die. To be beaten and mocked and whipped and spat upon. To be lashed. 
to have his skin open, to bleed out into the ground. He sent his son to die for you. And this is mercy. This is your inheritance. At least how it comes. That you would receive from God through the death of his son everything that is his own. That you receive his mercy. And his mercy is that thing through which all good things will come. It's been said God's grace is to receive those things you don't deserve. And his mercy is to not receive the things you do deserve. But I would tell you that even his grace comes to you by his mercy. Because if it is not for the fact that you are a forgiven sinner, if it is not for the fact that you have been won back from sin, death, and the devil, then you would have nothing. And we would expect nothing but damnation, even as we live upon this earth. And yet it is by the blood of Jesus shed for you upon that cross that you have received mercy. And so you do mercy. If you know that you cannot stand before the law, and you know that the only hope that you have is to plead the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, then what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You've been freed by the blood of Christ. What do you want to do? Do you want to go out and sin? Do you want to go out and do things your way? Do you want to go out and try to still win your way to heaven? Why would you do that? You already have it. You already have it. Instead, what do you want to do? You want to have mercy on those who need to have mercy. You want to be like Christ to those who need Christ. You want to live as God has told you you should live and has freed you to live. This is the point. When we hear good Samaritan, we shouldn't be thinking, do good works and be saved. And unfortunately, I think that's where most of us probably do go because that's how the world has twisted and transformed this parable. Instead, I would encourage you, when you hear the good Samaritan, think not about your works, but think of the works that Christ has done to you, that he has had mercy on you, and that now, you also are free to have mercy on those who need it. There is no question that this is where Jesus goes. For again, he leaves it with these words. Of mercy, you go and do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which, which passes all human understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.